1st and 2nd Chronicles cover the same time period roughly as Samuel and Kings. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we learn from the Bible. And it's very interesting. We're going to learn what God says in a little bit. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? The books of Chronicles were written after the time period of the Babylonian exile was over. So we're going to take a look at what it would have been like to live through the Babylonian exile. Ryan? Well, today we're reminded by the Chronicler that Adam and Eve were very real people, despite the claims of some Christians today. More on that later. Very real people. Fascinating. Coming up in 20 minutes. Janice, what'd you do? Fun Friday wrap-up. I can ask a question. Today, it's anywhere from 2 King, Kings 5 to 1 Chronicles 5. That's a lot of information. I'll tell you what it is. So get your Bible out and your Bible guide, and let's open it up and see what God says to us. Here we go. First Chronicles 4, verses 1 through 6. The sons of Judah were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. And Reiah the son of Shobal begot Jahath, and Jahath begot Ahumai and Lahad. These were the families of the Zorathites. These were the sons of the father of Etam, Jezreel, Ishma, and Idbash. And the name of their sister was Hazalel Ponai. And Penuel was the father of Gidor, and Ezer was the father of Husha. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. And Asher the father of Tekoa had two wives, Hila and Neara. Neara bore him Ahuzam, Hefer, Temani, and Heahasherai. These were the sons of Neara. First Chronicles chapter four, verses one through six. First Chronicles chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, and chapter 5. It's a lot of reading today, but it's mostly names. The books of First and Second Chronicles cover the same period of time as Second Samuel to Second Kings and gives us an extensive list of family names. First Chronicles records the genealogies and looks at the reign of King David. Second Chronicles focuses on the kings of Judah who came after David up to the exile and restoration. Now, Chronicles is not a basic recap of biblical history. Instead, it's a type of commentary that aims to spiritually evaluate the kings of Judah. Now, due to this, Chronicles gives us some extra details not presented in the book of Kings. And we hear more about the condition of God's people. We will read a lot about how sinful human nature operates in history. And what we get into with the book of Proverbs, we'll consider how we can avoid thinking with our evil, sinful nature and begin to hear God's word and work in our lives. That's still to come. Now, this is why Psalms says, The face of the Lord 
is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Psalm 34, verse 16, the face of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Now, as we begin our study today, take your Bible guides and turn to the passage as we talk about family names of 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And let me say, I, I have a North American tongue, so my tongue will not always do this right. So I ask forgiveness of those people who speak Hebrew. Uh, forgive me for the names that I will say, but I will try my best. Um, you know, I've learned Hebrew, but I can't speak it that well. But anyway, uh, so that's what we need to focus on. But take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, we'll send you one. You can uh, write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And then it'll take you to a page where you can download the Bible guide, exactly how we printed it. And you're literally seconds away from this passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the words of this particular passage of Scripture, help us to hear what you've said. Help us to know exactly how we should take it and help us to understand what you're telling us. And this is what we ask, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. This is how we pray. So, Father, today as we enter the Chronicles and we begin this journey, help us to understand exactly how it displays and what it means. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen and amen. First Chronicles. All right, here we go. The names. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says this. The sons of Judah were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shubal. And Reiah, the son of Shubal, begat Jahath. And Jahath begat Ahumah and Lahab. These were the families of the Zorathites. Very interesting. You know, as I looked at this, I realized that the tribe of Judah... The name Judah literally means tribe of praise, tribe of praise. God's people must praise his name only. Tribe of praise. That's what Judah means, beloved. We need to understand that that's what we hear. And when we talk mostly about Israel, and I, I know some people who are, uh, they suggest that they are descendants of the tribe of Judah. I praise God. And that's exactly true. I mean that because Judah means praise. And the Psalms tells us, 150 Psalms in all conditions of life, that we should always praise the Lord. So, Father God, we praise your name. And that's important to do. We'll have all eternity to do that as well. But let's go back to the scripture. This gets very interesting. These were the sons of the father of Etam, Jezreel, Ishmael. Idbash, and the name of their sister was Hazeliponi, and Peniel was the father of Gidor, and Ezer was the father of Hushah. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of the Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. Now, the second point I want to make, it's very important, women are also named in the ancient pages of Israel's history. <laughs> really important. You see, the Bible is not chauvinistic, like some people like to claim. We all have an inheritance through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
remember that in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul likes to say it this way. He says, all of us, slave or free, and he goes on, and he says, male or female, have our inheritance with God. So let me explain this. Male or female, that means man or woman, whoever they are, God has designed you. If you're born that way, God has designed you in that particular uh, place so that you can have an inheritance with the Lord. Now that becomes important because we need to remember that because there's a lot of people today who will attempt to take the Bible and adjust it to their feelings and all of that, but the Bible is what it is. And it just tells what it tells and says what it says. So male and female are the same. They're equal. Very important. Now there, there are differences physically, but they're equal. And that becomes very important. So let's remember that. That's what God did. All right, let's go back to the scripture now. First Chronicles chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. And Ashur, the father of Teoka, had two wives, Hilah and Nera. Nera bore him Ahazam, Hefer, Temni, and Haz or Hehaz, or Hehazaterai. These were the sons of Nera. Now, these are various names that are brought up here because we were never meant to have two spouses. This mentions two spouses here. God's plan for a husband and a wife in Genesis is supported by Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. It is said in Genesis chapter 2 that when man first saw woman, he realized this did not come from the dirt. This came from me. And so he said, this is flesh of my flesh. This is bone of my bone. So this is me, equal spirits. This is who we are, different. And we're made for complementary, not competitiveness. Like the world has made, you know, male and female stuff competitive. It's not to be competitive. It's to be complementary, beloved. You know, this is what we have to remember. The Bible says that in Genesis. And that's exactly why Adam said, to the woman, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And God speaks to us. And Jesus Christ himself says to us, as it was in the beginning, this is what I desire. So we need to keep that in our hearts, keep that in our minds. And I, and I realize I'm speaking to a culture and I'm speaking to today where, you know, anything goes. But I believe if we believe in the Bible and we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hear what he said begin to fulfill that in our own lives. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Today, we begin the book of 1 Chronicles, and the unidentified author reminds us in the very first word of his book that Adam, and by extension Eve, were very real people in history. Now, this biblical claim, among others, completely contradicts mainstream ideas. 
To many, including, unfortunately, a growing number of Christians, the claim that the entire human race descended from only one man and one woman is ridiculous. To them, it seems impossible. But the fact is that the field of genetics, when properly applied, can not only substantiate the Bible's claim that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman, but it can even give us some idea of what they would have looked like. Check it out. Right from the very beginning, the Bible makes highly significant claims which are often mocked in today's world, where evolution is considered the only truth. For example, contrary to evolutionary ideas, the Bible teaches that the entire human race descended from only one man and one woman, both of them specially created by God. And because all humans are of one blood, it means that there are no races, only the human race. Of course, due to evolutionary philosophy, Adam and Eve are largely considered to be mythological, even by a growing number of professing Christians. For example, one of the claims made is that it is genetically impossible that the entire human race descended from just two people. But one's final conclusions are a direct result of one's starting assumptions. Indeed, when the false evolutionary presuppositions are rejected in favor of biblical presuppositions, a totally different picture emerges. The fact is, not only could the genetic variation among people today have easily been carried within two people, but several creation scientists believe that they actually have a better working model than the evolutionists do. Starting with biblical presuppositions as well as having a basic knowledge of genetics also means that it's possible to get an idea of what Adam and Eve might have looked like. For instance, because all humans descended from these two, their gene pool needed to have the information available to produce all the variations in people we see today. This basic fact sets genetic boundaries on their appearance. As molecular geneticist Dr. Georgia Purdom explains, although Adam and Eve are often shown to be fair-skinned and blonde, this was unlikely. To derive all the different skin shades from one couple, Adam and Eve likely were middle brown in color. And of course, all humans have the same basic skin color, just different shades because of a brownish pigment called melanin. To put it simplistically, if we have a lot of this pigment, we're a very dark shade. If we don't have much of this pigment, then we're a very light shade. And so from two people having the right mix of dominant and recessive genes for the amount of melanin, all shades of brown in humans could arise. For the same reason, Adam and Eve probably had brown eyes and dark hair. Just as genetics helps verify the existence of our first parents, it's also confirmed what the Bible already proclaimed thousands of years prior. As children of Adam and Eve, we're all of one blood, and hence are one race. In fact, in the year 2000, after mapping the entire sequence of the human genome, the Human Genome Project announced to the world that there is only one race, the human race. That Adam and Eve were real human beings from whom the whole human race descended isn't now only a biblical and historical fact, but is also supported scientifically. As always turns out to be the case, the Bible, God's word, was right all along. So as you can see, it's all about presuppositions. If you presuppose that evolution is true, then that will affect the outcome of your scientific model. But if you presuppose that the Bible is true, then that will be your outcome. In other words, if you put evolution in, then evolution is what's going to come out. At the same time, if you put biblical ideas in, then that's what's going to come out. The problem is a lot of Christians don't really understand that. 
they don't realize that the claims and conclusions of pop science are all based upon those scientists' evolutionary starting assumptions. So when secular scientists say that there's no evidence for a biblical Adam and Eve, it's because their presuppositions don't allow for it in the first place. As one secular scientist famously put it, they cannot allow a divine foot in the door. But thank the Lord that in the last several decades there have arisen many God-fearing scientists who accept Genesis as a true and factual record of history. And they've been working very hard on biblically-based models that verify biblical claims. Of course, they're often painted as incompetent and not real scientists, but those who portray them like this ignore the fact that most of the major fields of science were developed by creationists like Sir Isaac Newton and Johann Kepler. Uh, those two alone were masters in their fields. Uh, they and many others clearly understood that the Word of God provides us with the proper lens to view the world around us. I think that's really important, right? That really is something we need to think through and understand. And, you know, pop science, a lot of people say science makes things like uh, DVDs or like memory or like the Internet or whatever. But we need to understand that the, there's functional science and then there's historical science. Mm -hmm. You cannot apply one to one set of circumstances and the other apply that circumstances to history. That's true. So historical science is looking back. And you're not really looking at any evidence. You're looking at the evidence that you're given. Yeah, so, you have to interpret that, what you're seeing. Exactly, yeah. because you're given evolutionary evidence. That's what you're going to input. But if you're given biblical evidence, that's what you're going to input. Mm -hmm. So to to deal with that is very interesting. And that's, a, that's something we can't deal with in this program, but we have other programs we can deal with that in. Anyway, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it, Corey. Okay, so today we are talking about uh, what it may have been like for the Judeans who were taken into the Babylonian exile. So in the last few chapters of Second Kings, we, we read about you know a few waves of exiles being taken to Babylon. And then we read about the destruction of Jerusalem and then the rest of the exiles go to Babylon. And now here in First and Second Chronicles, the history of the kings is starting over again, but this time it's through the lens of people who have already survived and come out of the Babylonian exile. So let's take a look at that time period, this time period of exile, and see what we can learn from history. Beginning in 597 BC, 11 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar enacted the first wave of deportations of citizens of Jerusalem to his Babylonian empire. This first exile was a show of his power, an attempt to squash any spirit of rebellion or independence in Judah. As rebellions continued, Nebuchadnezzar would call for at least two more rounds of deportation. The biblical accounts of the exiles in Babylon follow people like the prophet Ezekiel, whose personal life isn't expounded, and the prophet Daniel, who worked in the courts of Babylon in a privileged class with some of his other Judean captives. However, only a small number of exiles were taken under the wings of Nebuchadnezzar's palace administrators. The fate of the vast majority of Judeans are not chronicled in the Bible. The biblical notes that do exist are from the prophet Jeremiah, who urges the people to settle in Babylon, participate in everyday life and commerce because God's judgment would last a while. 
Today, it's known that the exiled Judeans took Jeremiah's words to heart. Found ancient texts have been translated coming from a city that was variously called Judatown, the city of the Judeans, or New Jerusalem. This was one of the cities Nebuchadnezzar gave to the exiled Judeans to live in. It may have been an old abandoned city, or perhaps it was new. Either way, the exiles would have been charged with building it up and becoming profitable citizens. At first, their dependence on the Babylonians must have been great. Imagine being taken from your home and placed in a completely different country, economy, society, and environment, and asked to farm and live. Much of your farming knowledge would not apply in this new ecosystem. Your knowledge of edible and medicinal plants would be different, and you'd have to learn a new language and social political structure. Nevertheless, this is exactly what the exiles did. Today, Judean individuals are identified from Babylonian records by their names that incorporate elements of God's proper name. But not all Judeans had those names. Some family records even show children receiving Babylonian names. From the Judeans that can be recognized, there's a clear progression of success from generation to generation, beginning quite humbly with barley as their grown commodity, and then branching out to land, grain, animals, and dates as the generations go on. The fate of all Judeans was not to become successful businessmen. It's quite likely that many Judeans struggled near the bottom of society. Others received the designation of royal merchants, and still others found themselves in the royal records of Babylon as officials of the king himself. There were surely a variety of outcomes for exiled Judeans, but the discovery of these ancient records help us trace the lives of this remnant of Judah. You know, it wouldn't have been a great time for many Judeans living in exile. And of course, we see through this historical study that like most things in life, there was a range of lifestyles that could have been lived by the Judeans who were exiled to Judah. Uh, and, and in many ways, we do see that represented uh, later on in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah reached, uh, you know, a great status and, and would have been a wealthy individual living in the Babylonian exile. And we see Daniel as well. Uh, and, and beyond the people that we know, we do know that they were very well off um, families who had thriving businesses in the Babylonian exile, but there were also people who were on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. So it's just interesting when you take a look into the pages of history to see what we can learn about this time period, because like many things, it would have been a, a diverse experience. And this was a time when they're, they're coming out of exile and they're in a situation. Mm -hmm. So this would have been a time when, when the culture had shifted and changed a lot. Yeah, a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of Nehemiah and I'm reminded of Ezra when they read the Bible in front of everybody and everybody began to weep because they heard what God said to them. Yeah. And he says, no, no, don't weep, don't weep, don't weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because they were humbled. Mm -hmm. And as they were humbled, it seems as if God could display himself more. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Now, what does that tell us about the days we live in now? tells us a lot, actually, and with Jesus Christ coming and going, but it's not the things that we have, it's the hearts. And with Christ, you learn to love Christ with your heart. Uh, and you don't, you, know, you don't gather things, but you apply the relationship of Jesus Christ and you love him with your heart. 
that becomes very interesting. All right, thank you very much. Now, what about the Bible uh, recap you do? Yes, every week my husband and I release a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap uh, that covers our assigned reading uh, in the Bible Discovery Guide for that week because we know we're going through the Bible really quickly. So if you've fallen behind or if you read really quick and you can't remember what it is that you read, we're here for you. We're going to do a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap. Check out my YouTube channel. It's just my name, Corey Babechko. We release that video every Saturday morning. Excellent. Very good. Now we come <laughs> to the, the intense part of the program. Well, I so, intense. <laughs> so intense. So intense. So intense. My <laughs> goodness. Do you know That's the answer right. to the Bible question? I bet they don't do. know. I think yeah? they probably do. I think our audience does. <laughs> I think know. you do. We've talked about it. Yeah. We have talked about well, it. All right, so our read the question. So this is our fun Friday wrap-up question, or maybe you don't find it fun. <laughs> we'll find out. Could be fabulous. I find it hilarious. <laughs> depends on the question. It depends. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, mm -hmm. well. I could base this question anywhere from 2 Kings 5 through to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, so you can get your fingers ready in your Bible to flip through if you think you know where to find this information. All right. I almost gave the reference away. <laughs> almost. That would have been helpful. That would have been helpful. helpful. <laughs> who found the book of the law and brought it to Shaphan, who brought it to King Josiah? So who found the book of the law and brought it to Shaphan, who brought it to King Josiah? Was that Ahikam? Was that Hilkiah? Or was that Shalom? Who do you think found the book of Questions are getting harder brought it now. to Shaphan and then gave it to King Josiah. Which one? Ahikam, Hilkiah, or Shalom? <laughs> this is burning a hole in, in Koi right I, now. I've been giving him eyes. I'm like, yeah. I know this one. This yeah. one I know. Go this ahead. one Go I ahead can and do. Answer. Yeah. Okay. The answer is B, Hilkiah. And what say you at home? <laughs> Actually, we're on this camera right here. What do you say at home? Do you think Ahikam, Hilkiah, or Shalom? Well, if you went with Corey and Ryan's choice, then you are absolutely right. It is Hilkiah, <laughs> and you can check that out in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 8 and 10. It gives a whole spectrum of of this part of the story. All right. So, so, and by the way, I want to thank you for all the giving that you have done. It's very important to us now. And when you give to the work of God, God will bless you. And Father, I pray now in Jesus' name for all of our partners who have given, that you would touch them and bless them in Jesus' name right now. In this time, help them, Lord. And we said together, amen. remind you that we of course are on with the prayer meeting every single day on Facebook, YouTube and Bible Discovery TV and uh, from 3.30 to 4.30 we're live and I'd love to pray for you and if you get a chance uh, hop over and we'll pray for you even if you come just for five minutes and go but it'd be great to see you. Today we pray and we say Lord your word is truth. Help me to live it out in my life as I attempt and pray that I will follow you. 